The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Welcome back in. We are ready to rock and roll on another edition of the preview as we head to a weekend that, let's be honest, does not have the magnitude of last weekend in a unified heavyweight title fight as well as a world title featherweight championship on another continent. We had one fight in Europe. We had another fight in North America of world title varieties. We don't have that this week. We've got an ESPN top rank card in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dan Rayfield doesn't want me to sing. I will just say living on Tulsa time, a good country song from the seventies and the eighties. That's where they're going to be for this weekend on the ESPN top rank show Saturday night headlined by Jose Pedraza, Richard Comey uh, in a junior welterweight showdown. We're going to talk more about that in the preview mode. Lots of news of the week, special guests, and more. I am merely TJ Reeves. He is our insider from the Fight Freaks Unite Substack from our Big Fight Weekend website. We love Dan Rayfield's insight. Uh, whenever he's here, uh, are you happy that I did not sing "Living on Tulsa Time," the country song? You don't like it when I, I sing. I'm I'm very happy that you didn't sing. And actually, I will just say right now, I would appreciate that as long as we do this together. That I never hear you sing. It's not good, but it, <laughs> I just try to add some humor. By the way, happy birthday, Mr. Rayfield celebrated Thank yet you. another anniversary of his 29th birthday yes, uh, this past week. But I must ridicule you at the very beginning of the podcast because you have informed me no birthday cake, no cupcake. You did you did like no dessert of any kind, no nothing. How is this possible on the on the big birthday that you didn't at least just, get a uh, taste of something? No. Well, actually, went out for a quiet, like nothing fancy dinner with my wife and son. Okay. To like a local Italian little like place okay. that was very nice. And when we came home, uh, my son had a little dessert of his own. I took a little nibble. All right. That's a lot. But you know, in, in my house, birthday cake is like an automatic and it's you know, got to be my, good. You know, at our age, it's, and, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not into like celebrating birthdays. I'm talking about my wife. My wife's yeah. got an expectation. My wife's birthday is next week. I'm ratting myself out on the podcast because right <laughs> now I got to come up not only with a gift, but I got to come strong with a cake or a cupcake. Or well, something. I got to do I'm the just same. Letting you know. your, your wife's birthday is early September. Mine's in late September. So I'm kind of screwed also. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll maybe we'll take this off the podcast and maybe we'll commiserate with each other. And yeah, we'll have figure to figure out what the best sports match is. But in any event, uh, let's rock on uh, because we've got boxing to get to. However you found us, social media link, whether it is uh, through Dan Substack, through Fight Freak Tonight, whether it's the Big Fight Weekend website, make sure you're following or subscribing. Great content headed to the weekend on the preview. The Big Fight Weekend preview comes your way on Fridays, usually out by Friday morning. And then the recap podcast comes your way by Monday morning to recap the weekend. If you were with us earlier in the week, you already heard us talking lots about Alexander Usyk's win over Anthony Joshua. Uh, Philip Hergovich won on the undercard uh, there. Emmanuel Navarrete's win for the WBO featherweight championship title defense. Uh, last week, we recapped all of those. So again, preview heading into the weekend on Friday, recap coming off the weekend. And sometimes there are special other interviews and other podcasts, et cetera, that we have. Just subscribe and follow on the feed. Uh, through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Okay, news, and then I got to tell the audience, we've got a couple of interviews. Uh, unbeaten heavyweight, 11 knockouts and 11 wins. He is the co-feature fighter on the ESPN Top Rank Show. You will hear from Jared Real Big Baby Anderson with Dan earlier this week. You'll hear that interview coming up. And Dan's even got another interview. Say something real quick, because you decided to reach out to Arnold Barboza, the top-ranked fighter that we saw a headline for them a few weeks ago because one Teofimo Lopez kept mentioning his name, 
And right. you being you, you reached out to Barboza and you scored well, an interview with Barboza in response to what Teofimo has been saying. What happened with that is Barboza was there ringside. And you'll hear him talk about it on the interview. He wants to fight Teofimo Lopez. They're both in the 140-pound weight class now with Lopez moving up. And when the fight for Teofimo was being organized in the first place, when they didn't have an opponent or anything set, Top Rank had said to me, they were indeed trying to make that fight. That was a fight that they were sort of interested to do. Um, it turned out that didn't take place. I'm not sure if Top Rank put the kibosh on it or maybe uh, Lopez's management put the kibosh on it, whatever. And I don't even really give Tiafimo or his team a grief about that. The kid was coming back off a loss, off a, a variety of this physical injuries and, and surgeries, and you're fighting your first fight in a new weight class. You know, Barbosa is a, a quality contender, and maybe that fight happens on the road. But for the first fight back, uh, after the loss, after the injuries, after all the issues, you know, not that Pedro Campbell was a, was a complete tomato can or anything like that. He fought back hard, but he's not at the same level as Barbosa. So I got no grief with that. And matter of fact, and people, I'll give a little tease of this in the interview, Barbosa even said the same thing. He didn't blame or have a grief with Lopez, not fighting him in that fight, but he wants him next. But the thing was his manager, Rick Merigian had uh, put up a video from the ESPN broadcast that was uh, after the fight where you hear Lopez in the ring, it wasn't part of the broadcast, but it was just another, uh, I don't know if social media from top rank took it, but you hear Tiafimo in the ring. I think he was having his gloves taken off and he was making chit chat basically before they announced the particulars with Brad Jacobs. Brad Jacobs is the chief operating officer of top rank, one of the top executives at the company. And he was standing next to him in the ring after the fight. And he basically said to Brad, I want you to make sure you keep me busy, but don't put me in that with that bum over there, Arnold Barbosa. And Barbosa was sitting ringside. <laughs> it's one thing to say you don't want to fight a guy, but when I'm calling him names, and it's sort of like, you know, he's kind of like in his head a little bit. And Barbosa okay. saw that and sort of was humored by it. So I was texting with Meridian, and uh, we ended up getting it squared away where I could get hooked up with Beautiful. Barbosa and have him talk about what was going on. So that's a really, listen. That, you know, Jared talked about, Jared Anderson spoke about his upcoming fight and his uh, thoughts on the, the division. I'll give a little tease. He called out Philip Hergovich, but uh, not as talkative, let's say. Maybe it's because just a few days before his own fight. In the case of Arnold Barboza, tremendous interview, real gift of gab, had a lot to say, spoke about Lopez, spoke about his own career. He's got, a, a, a as I said in the interview, a sneaky good resume being built, and he has uh, opportunities in, in what is still an excellent weight class at 140 pounds. All right. So you'll hear both of those interviews in just a few moments. We got some news to get to as well. And then we'll be previewing the fights, including Jared, big baby Anderson, maybe as staggering a favorite as what we talked about on one of these previews, or even on our bet us show that comes your way on Fridays live at one Eastern time where Raphael is just raking right now with the correct picks Meanwhile, I floundered last week, so but I mean the the big baby odds are ridiculous, ridiculous in his favor uh, for that win. But anyway, we'll talk more about it more about it in the preview mode here. And obviously, a gambling uh, angled show is the Bet US show Fridays one o'clock on the Bet US platforms, one o'clock Eastern time live, and also on their YouTube page, etc. You can obviously see it later, just like you can hear this podcast whenever you hear it in the preview mode on Friday, Saturday. It's still good, babe. It's still good for the audience. Same same thing with the bet us show you can catch it later friday catch it on saturday it's still good for the advice on that all right some news since last you and i talked on the recap show back off the weekend we have a couple of items first of all to no one's surprise tyson fury says i want the undisputed fight with Usyk, and i want it to get done and i want it to get it done quickly don't we all give me a quick comment on that 
we're not surprised. Oh, not at all. I mean, uh, as as Tyson Fury often does, he makes his videos on Instagram and everybody sees them. He made two videos that were very brief where he basically said, uh, you know, uh, attention, everybody that's interested to make a fight between myself and Usyk, you got till September 1st to come up with the money. OK, that's good. So that's a short deadline, a short a short leash there. Uh, if not, you know, I'm still retired. Thank you very much. And he went on to talk about it. Uh, you know what he forgot in the second video, he said, I forgot to tell you submit all of his offer, all offers to his lawyer. He named his lawyer, Robert Davies, who's been around boxing, representing fighters for many, many years. Um, and uh, make sure that you submit the, the, the offer in writing and that you also submit proof of funds. Uh, and then he said, and he finished, let the games begin. And indeed it's a game. Uh, he wants a half a billion dollars, which obviously won't happen for that. <laughs> I mean, it's a big fight. Don't get me wrong, but it sure as heck isn't bigger than Mayweather Pacquiao. Uh. Um, so listen, this is just, you know, as, as I, with we, it's Tyson Fury's uh, world and we all live in it. So he's doing his thing. Um, clearly, he wants to fight. Uh, when he says 500 million, obviously, you know, everybody has a starting point with a negotiation. That's an awfully high mark to start your talks. Might have but, to uh, whack a zero off the end of that. You know, well, listen, I suspect that after a lot of nonsense and a lot of commotion and a lot of back and forth and a lot of, not, you know, just craziness as is usual when it comes to uh, the Tyson Fury show that in the end, that fight will happen. It's going to, whatever the dollar figure is, it's going to dwarf whatever uh, number of dollars he or Usyk can make for anything else. Usyk said in the ring after he beat Joshua on Saturday, uh, you know, that he's sure that Tyson Fury doesn't, uh, isn't going to retire and that he wants to fight him, meaning Usyk, and that he wants to fight him or I'm not fighting anybody uh, unless it's Tyson Fury. And Fury clearly would like that fight. You know, he's willing to willing to come out of so-called retirement. Now there's also, you know, he's got this deadline with the WBC that looms, but you know, if the WBC heard the video, they'll probably give him a little extra time on it. There's no, it's nothing urgent. Like he has to, it's not like there's some other WBC right. championship fight that's sitting right there to be made. Because so, as we keep pointing out, he fought the mandatory back in April with Dylan sure. White. So why would they go to him? Why would they make and him they, and they have, on their own? They have other eliminators that are lined up. So theoretically they could turn one of those into a title fight. Obviously the Andy Ruiz, Luis Ortiz is a semifinal eliminator. The fight in uh, the month, you know, in, uh, later in the fall between Deontay Wilder and Robert Hellenius is another, uh, I guess, semifinal eliminator. The point is, let's just let it all play out. And yep. in the end, it'll be like normal chaos with Tyson Fury. But hopefully, you know, we'll see this fight happen because it's the biggest fight out there, certainly in the heavyweight division, one of the, if not the very biggest in the whole sport. Uh, there's never been a four belt undisputed heavyweight champion. There hasn't been a three belt undisputed champion since Lennox Lewis defeated Evander Holyfield uh, in their second fight. I mean, Klitschko was the, def you know, Vladimir Klitschko was the, the champion. He had three of the belts and the ring title and all that. He just never was able to get the WBC belt, which was understandable by the way, because for most of that time, his brother had, it and they weren't going to fight each other. So, you know, it's kind of like an asterisk there. You know, Vladimir was as close to undisputed as a guest. No one disputed it other than they didn't have the hardware. But if by definition, the hardware is having all the belt, you know, of undisputed is having all the belts. And this is a chance for, Fury and Usyk to, to do their business. Uh, they're both tremendous fighters, both future Hall of Famers. And uh, it's the summit meeting of summit meetings. They're the All last right. men standing. Speaking of undisputed and having the belts, uh, how many has Josh, Josh Taylor got now? It's, it's uh, Friday as we release the podcast. He's down to one. Might he have none by the time he fights Jack Catterall? What's going on here? Give us the update on he, he vacated and Demetrius Andre vacated as well for the WBO middleweight title. Enlighten us. Go ahead. Well, as it relates to Josh Taylor, obviously when he defeated Jose Ramirez, he went into that fight with two of the belts. Uh, Jose Ramirez went into that with two belts. 
Uh, Josh Taylor emerges the winner. He had the four belts, plus he had the ring title, uh, symbolic of the uh, the lineal championship, although I don't always agree with their assessment, but obviously the ring belt is a, a coveted belt if you can uh, grab it. Um, and now he still has the ring belt because he's still the lineal champion. But in terms of the sanctioning bodies, he's went from four. Now he's down to one. And one of the problems, I mean, everybody clamors to see an undisputed champion and it's wonderful and it's a beautiful thing, but it's very short lived. You know, you get that moment of excitement and ecstasy and it's like, we have clarity in the division and we're all good. And we know who the champion is. There's no doubt about it. He's got all the belts and he's, he's the man, you know, whatever. Uh, and then like the next day they start ordering mandatories and slowly but surely they get shipped away. And it basically happens whenever there's been an undisputed champion, certainly in the, in the, in the era of four belts. I mean, uh, going back a couple of times, a couple of years, let's say, for example, when Terrence Crawford became the undisputed champion in the junior welterweight division, he never defended it at all. He ended up slowly but surely they were stripped. He was thinking, I'm going to go to welterweight anyway. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, in the case of uh, Alexander Usyk, when he became the undisputed cruiserweight champion, he actually was able to keep the belts together long enough to make one defense against Tony Bellew and then ended up uh, losing belts one at a time and ultimately made the decision to rise to the heavyweight division. Um, and, you know, the same thing will ultimately happen with Devin Haney and lightweight. He's going to have the rematch with George Cambosis, but once that fight's over, win or lose, uh, the mandatories are going to start coming and he's not going to be able to maintain those four belts, I'm sure, after that. Uh, maybe possibly one more fight if he can do the fight with Lomachenko but that's not the point is when you're a champion with four belts you know you might be able to get through one defense almost rarely would you be able to get through two defenses in the case of Josh Taylor the all three of the WBO is fine because Caterell was the BO mandatory but the WBA the WBC and the IBF all have different mandatories different agendas and different schedules and the WBA and the WBC supposedly the BC claims that they had an agreement of what the rotation was. And yet the WBA ordered the fight anyway. So you literally had the BC and the BA having mandatories ordered at the same time, essentially. And even if he wanted to make the mandatory, he can't fight two guys at once. I mean, he's good, but he's not, he's All not. Right, so this is what I wanted to ask of this. So for example, uh, Jermel Charlo is the undisputed 154 pound champion, but they haven't been ordering these organizations that, no, that again, yeah, time and again, well, but time and again, they make up their own rules. So they haven't been ordering anything on him all summer or in no, the, into now the end of August. And yet with Catterall, it looked like bang, bang, bang. We got to have a decision. And he just dropped the belt, dropped the belt, dropped the belt. Go ahead. In the case of Charlo, his, they actually had a rotation system that the people were adhering to. The IBF champion, or I'm sorry, the IBF mandatory has made multiple deals to step aside to allow uh, him to have other fights. So that's why he's going to be able to fight. I mean, originally he wasn't going to be able to do that. And the IBF mandatory was pressing the issue. They made another step aside deal. So now he's going to take on the WBO mandatory, which is Tim Zhu. And there is no mandatory that's set yet in the WBC or the WBA. So they were able to get around that. In the case of Josh Taylor, the, the, the W, uh, I forget which even what it was. I guess it was the WBA immediately ordered him to fight Alberto Pueyo, who had been an interim champion. Right. That was made the number one when they got rid of all the interim titles last year. Uh, and he didn't even, did, you know, him and his team didn't even bother to negotiate to go involve themselves in a purse bid. So immediately that one, depending on who you believe, he was either stripped or he vacated. But the bottom line was he didn't have the belt. And at that point, the WBC then ordered their mandatory, which was against, uh, uh, I can't remember who oh, it was supposed to be. Well, it, ultimately, Jose Ramirez was not going to be the mandatory. It was supposed to be uh, Jose Zapata. Right. And Ramirez and Zapata were supposed to, fight once he vacated Ramirez said he was going to take the rest of the year off because of his wedding and now they made Regis Progre uh, order to fight uh, uh, Zapata 
So there was some interest in possibly Taylor doing the Zapata fight. It didn't come to pass. He was more interested in the Catterall fight. Plus, let's be honest, there was the issue if he could come to the United States, no one knew if he could get in here because of his past uh, issues, not because he did something wrong, but he was associated with MTK and, and Daniel Kinahan and all that business. And he wanted to fight in Scotland. Anyway, so the WBC title was, you know, he vacated the WBC title and they then ordered that, that uh, uh, vacant title fight between uh, Regis Progre and, uh, and uh, Zapata. And then the IBF, uh, they had their mandatory situation, which is a fighter named Jeremiah Ponce, who's actually a very underrated fighter. He's really good. He just doesn't have a lot of notoriety. He was the mandatory. They didn't. They were supposed to have a purse bid uh, this week, and they didn't. Uh, they weren't going to do that fight because again, he's moving towards the Catterall fight. So they he vacated the uh, IBF title. They still have to receive the official written word, but they've been told by Top Rank that's happening. So they're ordering Ponce to fight uh, 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 Sabriel Matias, which is actually one hell of a fight between mm-hmm. two excellent punchers and exciting guys. Uh, but that's what happens. I mean, we all get pumped up and excited. They beautify the belts. And then slowly but surely, they dissipate. And listen, at the end of the day, when he fights Catterall, I would dare say that win or lose against Catterall, probably headed to the welterweight division. Maybe he'll stick around if there's a good fight to make against like a, 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 a Tiafimo Lopez or, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, let's say a unification with Zapata, although he'd just be fighting for the belt that he already had. Uh, the good thing for Taylor is that the top rank is lousy with good 140 pounders, so he won't lack for good opposition the way Terrence Crawford did as a welterweight. So we'll have to wait and see. But that's what happens. That's that's you know, it's it's uh the 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 good part which you can get unified champions, and then there's the bad part where it doesn't last for very long. I understand that, and I like the Catterall fight as the rematch. That's a better fight than any of those other ones that you were listening. So at least we'll get that even if he doesn't have all the. Power. I have to say though, from my perspective, just as a, as a, and again, I'm in the minority here. In terms of just interest and excitement, I feel like that Ponce fight for the IBF would have been a really good fight, but I'm in the minority because most people don't know Ponce. True. You do. You travel in those circles. But I know I know in the UK, that's going to yeah. be a huge rematch, Absolutely. and that's what they're looking at uh, for A lot more Taylor money Taylor. in that fight. That's the bottom line. Yes, there's no doubt. Hey, right listen, now- I understand. Taylor feels like, you know what? He 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 heard the criticism of the result in the first fight in the, in the controversy, and so – you know, credit to him. He wants to set the record straight. Obviously, Caterell wants a second crack at the title. And, and we have juice on the rematch. We have more interest. We have more money. We have juice on the rematch. Yes. So I, I get that. Uh, for uh, Andre, explain to me what's going on here because he's been injured too. So what is the latest? Well, he has held the WBO middleweight title for, you know, a few years. He had made five defenses and he was frustrated, understandably. He couldn't get a big fight against him. Nobody would fight him over the big name. And he was making pretty good money with Matchroom. That deal came to an end. Um, he and his, his team, they didn't want to take uh, the fight against his, pre- his his mandatory at the time was Janibek Alamakinuli. And he petitioned as a WBO champion and certainly is allowed to do within the rules. Lots of past champions have done that. Is uh, You can go up and immediately challenge for the title in the next weight class up. Um, but because Canelo Alvarez is the undisputed champion at 168, he obviously was otherwise occupied and frankly wasn't too interested in fighting Andre anyway. So the WBA approved Andre to fight for the interim title because at the time, Canelo was taking care of business at 175. He had the fight with Bebo that was coming up. Nobody knew if he was going to win or lose or what he was going to do. In any event, they scheduled Andre versus Zach Parker from Britain. They were going to have the fight in England on May 21st. And a couple of weeks before that fight, uh, Andre had suffered the shoulder injury and it was going to be the type of thing that was going to keep him out for four or five months. So that fight was scrapped and they withdrew their sanction of the fight. Now he's better and he's got a, come back and the WBO says, okay, you have to fight still your mandatory is Janibek and Alan McAnuley. And uh, because he was on the injured list, they let Janibek fight for the interim title. 
He blitzed, uh, you know, Danny Dignam from the UK, just absolutely destroyed him in a couple of rounds back, happened to be on May 21st. So now he's sitting there with the interim championship and, and Andre's going to be coming back in the ring and he's got nowhere else to go. And so they start talking about that fight. Top rank was interested to do it. They promote Janabek. And at the end of the day, and I had conversation with, with uh, Andre's manager, Ed Ferris, and he's sort of like, look, we can't make the kind of money against Janabek. You know, he was making seven figures for fights when he was with Eddie Hearn the last few fights. So top rank wanted to do the fight, but not at the level of money that Andre has been used to making. So they didn't really want to do that. Plus Janabek's a dangerous fight and doesn't really mean anything. Frankly, nobody knows him, uh, even though he's a hell of a fighter. So his thing was he's getting older. He's coming off an injury. He's having trouble making 160. It's a, it's a, it's a fight against a fighter that doesn't do us any good. If we win, if we lose, it's a mess. We're not making the kind of money. So, you know what, forget this. We're going to go back and try to rekindle that fight at 168. And that's exactly what they did. They got the WBO to go for it and to uh, sanction the, the interim title fight because Canelo is still off doing his thing with triple G. And so Andre will therefore, uh, if they can make a deal or otherwise there'll be a purse bid, I guess he'll go back and they'll put that Zach Parker fight back together. He'll fight what are you hearing title. about how and, soon? Hold on. And Janabek is elevated to the full champion. I got you on that. What are you hearing about how soon that would be with his injury? What are you hearing on no, that? The injury, he's okay with the injury. They have the injury is good now. He's ready to get to train again okay. and all that. So the uh, when the WBO uh, approved the fight, they notified everybody. Uh, this was on Tuesday of this week. So just a couple of days ago that they had 10 days to make a deal. And if there's no deal, they'll order a purse bid. And if neither side or one side doesn't want to negotiate, they can seek an immediate purse bid. And uh, we'll see, maybe, you know, we'll see who wins. Now, he, uh, uh, Zach Parker's with Queensberry and Frank Lauren. Andre became a promotional free agent. I don't know if he's, he hasn't signed like a long-term deal or anything, but his business is being done. The person that's addressed to on the letters that come back and forth from the WBO is to Salida promotion. Salida. With Dimitri Salida. Right, right. So he's representing him in this and we'll see. Uh, I don't think that Salida's company, and he does a very good job promoting his events, but I don't think they've got the financing to put on that level of a fight because they don't have a, a broadcast partner. Frank Warren has BT in the UK. If there's enough money and they can make a deal without a purse, but I think Andre would be happy to go back to Britain because look, he signed a fight Parker in Britain back in May. I don't see why it would be any different now uh, if they put that back together on a similar kind of deal. Uh, and, but uh, Demetrius is now going to be at, at super middleweight and uh, Janabek is the WBO title holder in the middleweight division. All right, good enough on that. We keep rifling through again. You'll hear from Jared, uh, Real Big Baby Anderson, the heavyweight, in just a few moments here. We're going through some different news and some items. Uh, all right, you uh, broke this story about the lawsuit involving Daniel Dubois trying to get his money, his full payment, whatever his full payment was supposed to be for the WBA uh, regular heavyweight championship win over Trevor Bryan. That took place in June. So you broke this story late uh, July. It has now come to a resolution you have found out midweek. Enlighten us more, Dan Rayfield. So Dubois and his team with uh, efforts from the British Board of Boxing Control that was trying to assist him with an investigation from the Florida State Athletic Commission about the situation. Everybody was trying to get Daniel paid what he was owed under his contract with Don King. Uh, there was no resolution that they could deal with. They ended up filing a lawsuit against, not against Don King personally. Uh, they filed it against Don King Productions, which is his promotional company in South Florida, where he is located. And that was, uh, you know, they had 20 days to respond. They did. And ultimately they made a settlement and, you know, it's sort of like, you know, no harm, no foul. He's going to get his money. 
and uh, and you know King is not putting up much of a fight. You know King made a lot of uh, very weak excuses of why he wasn't getting this or getting that. He was trying to claim that Frank Warren, who was Daniel Dubois' promoter, owed him uh, X number of hundreds of thousands of dollars from previous deals that perhaps went south or whatever. But a if that's true, and Frank denies it, the statute of limitations on those deals was way over. The, the, the things that Don was suggesting took place like around a decade plus ago. The statute of limitations, from what I understand from the lawyer, was five years. So he never sued Frank for that money in that period of time. And now all of a sudden he's coming back saying, you owe me. Frank says, I don't know what you're talking about. And on top of that, it's not even really relevant because the contract was done between DKP and Daniel Dubois. Yes, Frank is Daniel's promoter, but Frank was not the winner of the purse bid. When you win a purse bid, you do the contract directly with the boxer. And uh, that was the way that was done. Now, everybody knows in boxing, if a fighter wins a, or a fighter goes to fight for another promoter in a purse bid situation, and they get whatever their purse is supposed to be under that purse bid, that 99 times out of 100, that person's promoter has something in their contract that says, as long as I bid, if I don't win, you owe me X percentage of the purse. So Daniel did owe Frank, I'm sure, at least some money off of that purse. And, but it wasn't a contract with King. So it was a really weak thing from King to do. But in the end, uh, Daniel Dubois' attorney, who was Leon Margulies in this case, uh, I spoke to him and he informed me that they had gotten everything squared away, that they were going to be paid, and that he would move to dismiss the case as soon as uh, the, the money that was supposed to be transferred into his trust account was there. And I'm assuming that that will happen and he will drop the case. So there were two important points. One, the attorney revealed to you and you wrote about this, that King demonstrated he paid the IRS, the Internal yes. Revenue Service. And that was in dispute because that was no small figure. That was like 400,000 American dollars. Yes, 30 percent of his purse. If, if there's some dispute as to whether King paid him, Dubois now on the hook with the U.S. Correct. government. So that got worked out. And then we believe there were, it was somewhere between, what did you write, 400, well, hundred grand that had to be resolved, whatever the they number were, is, right? The, he sued, and it was an inexact number, as you mentioned, between $938,000 or $464,000, thereabouts, or 63. The difference being, did King make the payment to the IRS? The lawyer said mm -hmm. yes. Did he handle the sanction fee arrangement with the WBA? He said, yes, that was like 40 grand or whatever. And there was also the fact that the part of the deal was that Frank Warren was going to get the, you know, basically buying the UK rights from Don for BT Sport. They didn't have to actually exchange cash. It was basically just take a credit. So Frank and Dubois worked out their situation and Don would give them the rights to do the fight. So that 475 was also part of the deal. So that came off there also, but they had to make sure that that was cool with King and with Frank. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff in, in that. And, but the bottom line is the lawyers said the suit's done and we're good to go. And, you know, Daniel went a few months without his money. Now he's got it. And it just, it's a situation that should never have happened. Uh, I'm tired of writing about promoters who don't pay their fighters in the ring. There you go. And Don King is 91 years old. So, and he's been, he's basically out of the picture, at least for now in the heavyweight part. Just had, his, just had his birthday a few days ago. How about that? And, and, uh, and Dubois now will look to be back in the ring this fall against somebody and, uh, and can move on and can move on with at least having gotten something. All right. One more too. And I hesitate cause I don't want to go down the rabbit hole for another 10 minutes. Uh, but the Leo Santa Cruz situation with the WBA. And this, this is something you've been writing about and talking about. So they came to a resolution. I know you're shaking your head at me. 
Um, they came to a resolution and both, both parties agreed that it's not going to be Santa Cruz and Lee Wood. And you lectured me before I hit the record button. Hey, don't blame the fighters here. The promoters came up with deals. And so now PBC and uh, TGB promotions are happy with Santa Cruz fighting Ray Vargas in a unified featherweight situation. And apparently Matchroom is happy with Lee Wood and Mauricio Lara fighting to wait in the wings to get the winner of Vargas and Santa Cruz. That's what the WBA resolved. Your biggest problem, I'm not speaking for you, but you've already put this out there in writing, is they didn't follow their own stinking rules again. So go ahead. You have the floor on this. I mean, a couple, I don't know, a month ago, uh, there was the same thing came up. They, the PBC people, okay, back up. The WBA went to Leo Santa Cruz, who hasn't defended the featherweight title in three years, and said, tell us what you're going to do. Either, you know, basically shit or get off the pot. Boom. He said, I tell you what, give me, allow me to have an interim fight, because he was coming off the knockout to Javante Davis, hadn't fought for a while. Let me have an interim fight, then I will defend against Lee Wood. That sounds reasonable. I'm like, okay, that's cool. They gave him the interim fight. He beat a guy, and he was then supposed to, then they were eventually going to order the Lee Wood fight. Then there was all this nonsense, but I can't agree on what the split would be if it goes to a person. When the reality is the rules are very clear, 75-25, possibly they could switch it a little bit further up, but they were going back and forth, um, and they finally ordered the fight. Now, once the fight's ordered, you got to make the fight or you go to a person. Well after the fight was ordered, uh, the Santa Cruz side, meaning PBC and TGB, came back to the WBA and asked to have an exception to the mandatory, meaning skip the mandatory for another round and let me fight Ray Vargas in a WBC, WBA uh, unification fight. Nothing wrong with that fight. Good fight. But you can't go back on that after you've already ordered it and you've spent the last year telling people you're going to reduce the titles and order your super champions to fight your regular champions. So at that point, I wrote a very harsh column about right. it. I name-checked Gilberto Mendoza many times in that column. Um, he didn't like that, but uh, but we had a long conversation about that, and he was like, you know what, you're right. You're right. I'm going to make sure that we get it done the way we said it was. We're going to keep our words. I forget the exact quote. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we promise we're going to get down to one champion, and, and I'm going to keep my word, or something to that effect. Okay. You know what? You said it right to me on the telephone. You said it to me multiple times. Uh, what am I going to do? I'm not going to, you know, prove me wrong. You know, I, I accept your your uh, the way you're de 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 describing it. So, okay, then they order the purse bid. PBC slash TGB, Matchroom Boxing, they go to uh, the WBA. They say, hey, guys, we have come to an agreement. Please cancel the purse bid. And they didn't even wait till like the last minute, like it usually happens. I think it was like a day or two before. We have a deal. We will be forthcoming with the date and the location. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's happening. Okay. Except. It's not. And that's the problem. So what happens is here you are thinking, okay, they have a deal and all we're waiting on is, you know, the particulars of when the fight's going to take place, you know, what's the broadcaster situation going to be, where the location is going to be, but it's still a hell of a fight, by the way, Lee Wood against Leo Santa Cruz is a very good featherweight title fight. No doubt about it. And then suddenly you have Eddie Hearn uh, saying, you know, big things coming on uh, the other day. You posted on Twitter, there was gonna be a big announcement the following day. Now I've been hearing rumors that it was going to be, uh, Lee Wood against Lara. And I'm like, well, I hope that's not the case because he's supposed to be fighting Leo Santa Cruz. Sure enough, they announced that he is going to be, in fact, fighting Lara in a title defense. And on the WBA's website, they have a press release or some note, notes about what happened saying, listen, you know, the, the deal was not able to transpire and they're going to be approved to fight these separate opponents. And that's 
the nonsense of all nonsense because they're the organization. They have every right to say, no, you either fight each other or, or you can fight whoever you want, but it just can't be with the WBA title involved, which is my perspective. I have no problem with Leo Santa Cruz fighting Ray Vargas. It's a good fight. And I've got no problem whatsoever with Lee Wood fighting against Mauricio Lara. Also a good fight. Uh, I'll say this, though. Lee Wood against Leo Santa Cruz is the best of those three fights, frankly, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. That's besides the point. So they basically completely went back on their word, went back on their promise, uh, lied to my face, lied to other people's face, the WBA, that is. I don't even blame the promoters. They're trying to do what they want to do. You know, but somebody's got to be the adult in the room, if, if you know what I'm saying. Someone's got to be the, you know, the How about, person. Can I just interject? Follow your own rules. Follow your own guy. They put that statement out oh. trying to spin it and blah, blah, blah. You're not following your own rules. This not is why people that, lose DJ. all confidence in the confidence in the organization. Here's what makes it even more ridiculous. Mauricio Lara is a good fighter. OK, no, no problem there. He's exciting. And he had a big upset against Warrington and all that. He's not ranked by the WBA. Their rules expressly state you have to be, I think it's the top 15. He's not in the ratings. Now, the ratings were most recently updated on July 31st. He's not in those ratings. And I looked and I was like double checking and triple checking. I looked at the, at the junior featherweight division. He's not rated. I looked in the 130 pounds. So it's not like he was accidentally rated in the weight class ahead or the weight class behind. He's not ranked and they're allowing them to fight for the regular title. That's absolute bullshit, number one. Number two, I guarantee you that come August 31st or September 1st, whenever the new ratings come out, uh, he'll probably be in there. But my point is you can't base it on ratings that don't yet exist. They have to be based on the rankings that are available when the fight is made. And the rankings available when the fight was made were the rankings for the month of July, which, were come, which came out on July 31st. So, again, you know, no problem with the fights. I got a problem with them being allowed for the WBA title. And I don't understand why they didn't just fight each other. And then whoever wins can go on and fight the fight of their choice after that. The WBA and Gilberto Mendoza specifically, who I had a long back and forth with on a, on a text exchange when this all went down, uh, it just lied, like with impunity. And I don't respect that. And I said to somebody that works with Gilberto, I said, I have no respect for what Gilberto did. But what I would respect more is if he said, hey, Raphael, go fuck yourself. We're a business. We're going to do what we want to do. And I'm allowing those fights. I would respect that more, even though I would disagree with it, than if he said, than him saying all the shit to my face and then doing exactly the opposite behind my back or anybody's back. And, and, then, and, 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 then and, release, and then release that convoluted thing that you almost and, had to have a college professor explain to you about how they tried to come to the conclusion that they could do this when they're violating their own rules. It's the crazy. worst part about it was Gilberto in our text exchange uh, tried to blame it on, on, uh, on uh, Chavez, who runs the championship committee of the WBA, and anybody that knows anything about the WBA knows nothing happens unless Gilberto Mendoza Jr. gives his blessing. So for him to suggest that the magnitude of this fight, of what they've been going through with the title reduction, and suddenly after the fight was ordered, after he gave his word that they would do it one way, it was done the other way because his underling made after, that decision. After it's they told Santa, yeah, and they told Santa Cruz in writing, you can't do it. You're fighting Lee Wood. They told him in writing, you can't do it. And now you can't do it because so again, we say I'd have more it. respect if they told me to go fuck myself and then lie to me behind my, you know, and do it behind my back. What a mess. What a mess on that. Shall we hear? See, from you got me down the rabbit hole. Now I understand. So can we get back out of the rabbit hole and hear from Jared real big baby Anderson? We'll okay. do that. He's yes. actually in the ring Saturday yes. night in Tulsa. He's got a very winnable fight. What will he be doing after he wins that very winnable fight is another question that comes up in this conversation. Let's hear that now. 
All right, my guest this week on our podcast is the heavyweight prospect, Jared, the real big baby Anderson. And Jared is back in action Saturday night, first fight in ten in uh, eight months, 11-0 with 11 knockouts, just 22 years old. And Jared, most people look at you and say you are the best prospect in the heavyweight division, certainly among the heavyweight prospects in uh, this country. Um, can you just tell me your thoughts about finally getting back in the ring after the layoff? I know it's probably been frustrating, but here you go, back in a – in a, in a big spot on national TV once again. Uh, just give me your general thoughts about making the return after the layoff. Um, focusing on myself, getting in tune with myself, and becoming a better me. Uh, I took some time off, you know, working with the kids, um, bettering myself, and just overall becoming a better uh, big baby. So we expect to see big things. Well, I think most people expect big things whenever they see a big man like yourself get into the boxing ring. Uh, you haven't fought since the uh, very impressive second-round knockout against Teslenko uh, back in December on the Lomachenko card. Uh, Richard Comey was in that main event. You're on another card where Richard is in the main event on this show against Jose Pedraza. Um, were you at all uh, have any frustration in being off for as long as you were? Because when you started out as a professional right off the bat, because of your your uh, your youth and professional inexperience, you know, with top rank, you were fighting, you know, a couple times a month, you know, in a, in a very aggressive schedule. And then all of a sudden, you know, kind of hit that wall and you're off for a little bit. Nah, not, no real frustration. Focusing on myself, though. Um, I, things outside of boxing, uh, making my home right, keeping my family tight, uh, just like I said, focusing on on me as a whole. Understood. So the the opponent that you're going to face on Saturday, uh, Milian Rovkanian from Serbia, has a good record: twenty four and two with sixteen knockouts. Um, only stopped one time in those losses against Agit Kabielo. You know, one of the good uh, European fighters was European champion. Um, what do you, what? And he's fighting in the United States. He's coming all the way over here to fight you. He's never fought here in this country before. Uh, what what is your familiarity with your opponent? Because honestly, I'm I'm. I'm pretty knowledgeable. I know a lot of fighters. I didn't really know him when I heard him announce as your opponent. I had to kind of look him up and check him out. Yeah, I, same with <laughs> same with is what you said pretty much, man. It, I got to go look and find, uh, and I didn't find much. But well, with, with what I did, I'm confident in my abilities as always. Um, and planning to take care of business. The fight is going to be your first fight scheduled for ten rounds. Now, obviously, you've had scheduled eight round fights and. And, and lesser number of rounds than that. You haven't needed them, obviously, because of the way you've been knocking out your opponents. But can you give me just your mentality of now approaching a fight where theoretically you could have to go 10 rounds and not eight, not six, not four. Um, talk to me about the, the step up and at least having that on paper that you could, you could go a 10-round distance for the first time. We train um, for championship rounds every day. Every time we train, every camp, we train for championship rounds. So... This is nothing new. Uh, we're just going to do and show what we already work for. So you feel like if uh, he's able to avoid your power for that long, that you're ready to ready to rock for ten full rounds? Uh, Twelve full rounds. Twelve full rounds. Okay. Is that when you're working uh, in the gym and getting ready for any fight? I know guys will train beyond maybe what the number of rounds are that they're scheduled for. That if you're scheduled for a six rounder, you might train. You know, in terms of doing a, a, a sparring. Uh, you go ten rounds, let's say. So now that this is a ten rounder, do you go twelve rounds in a, you know, over the course of uh, some of your training camp? Uh, depends on the day. Depends on what I'm feeling. Depends on what's going on. But you have though is my is my question. You have done that. Oh yes, I have. yes I have. 
And have you done it for this camp, uh, you know, a couple of times at least, just to make sure you're good to go? Yeah. And how do you feel going that distance? You feel like still like you're fresh at the end or, you know, you got to work on conditioning? Like what's the, the biggest difference when you train for that level of a fight? As confident as I am in the first round. Okay, fair enough. Um, now one thing I wanted to ask you about is that during the course of your layoff, I know that you were supposed to come back uh, and have a fight on the undercard at Wembley Stadium in April when Tyson Fury, who you sparred with, uh, you know, a few camps with him, uh, on that undercard. I remember when that fight was made, Jared, Bob Arum said to me when he talked to Tyson, he said the first thing he said, Tyson told me, he said, make sure you get Jared over here uh, to be in camp. I want him on my card and I want him in my, you know, in my camp to, to work with him. Obviously, we're not able to do that. Can you just talk to me a little bit about the disappointment about not being able to be on that mega event? There was 94,000 people uh, in that stadium and looking at this heavyweight championship fight and to have the opportunity as a young fighter to be in that atmosphere on that kind of card with that kind of exposure would have been a pretty big deal. It definitely would have been a pretty big deal. Um, I'm a firm believer and everything happens for a reason. So I think it just wasn't my time. Um, I'm going to keep faith and keep my head down, you know, keep striving for greatness and just keep doing what I got to do because I'm winning and it's working. So it's, as long as I have faith in uh, my team and my, my uh, like I said, my team and uh, promotion, I think I'll be just fine. Now, the heavyweight division, of course, is massively in the news right now. I mean, your fight, obviously part of that overall picture of the weight class, but uh, Tyson had the win in April, but more recently, of course, over the weekend, this past weekend, you had the, the rematch between Alexander Usyk and uh, Anthony Joshua, their heavyweight title rematch, which Usyk was the victor in, uh, winning for the second time. We have some big-time heavyweight fights coming up, not championship fights, but important fights in the division. You got the former champion, Andy Ruiz, uh, getting ready to take on Luis King Kong Ortiz, uh, in the beginning of September, and then not too long after that, the former champ Deontay Wilder taking on Robert Hellenius. How closely, uh, Jared, do you pay attention to these other heavyweight fights in your weight class? Um, when I get a chance to watch them, I watch them, but I, I mainly focus on who's in front of me. Do you have interest in watching them? Like, because, you know, as either A, a fan, or B, thinking, you know, these are guys that maybe at some point you may be matched up with when you get to that level. Like I said, I pretty much focus on who's in front of me. Uh, that's my task in hand. You never know. You got to worry about what's in front of you because you never know when you're going to see the next day. That's a good point. Uh, now, you're a guy that obviously has some knowledge of Tyson Fury, the champ. You've sparred with him. Uh, you know, you've talked about you're friendly with each other. Certainly have a good working relationship in the gym. Uh, respect between the two of you guys. How much do you believe him when he says he's retired? especially with the prospect of this mega fight looming out there for the undisputed championship with Usyk after what happened on Saturday. Chances are slim to none and he's done. So you think he's coming back for fight for that big fight, right? Yeah. Uh, I would have to assume that if he does do that, you know, uh, even though uh, Usyk is a, is a, a southpaw, obviously a lot of different kind of fighter, he'd want you in, your, in the camp again. Um, have, you, have you watched much of Usyk? And I wonder just if you give me your thoughts as a guy that's been up close and personal in the sense of the ring. With Fury, what you think would happen in that fight? Tyson wins. Easily. Easily. Can you expand on that? Tell me a little bit why you think that? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just wondering your thoughts on it. Better fighter. Interesting. Um, have you talked to him at all about his plans at all? Um, no, I have not. Uh, I would love to get to talk to him about them, but um, no, nah, I have not. Understood. Um, 
I was also wondering about this, uh, layoff notwithstanding, uh, you know, you've gotten to a point where you got those 11 fights under your belt, you're going into your first 10 rounder, you won all your fights by a KO. How do you feel about the, the progression you've made since you turned pro? How about your improvement, about the, the level of opponents you're fighting, about the, the path that you and your team are, uh, are moving you along to get to the top? I've gotten better every fight and I continue to do that. So I take that means you're pleased with, uh, with the way it's been going? Um, I was, if I had to grade myself on improvement, I would say I could be, uh, I think I, like I said, I have, I believe I've gotten better every fight. So yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with my performance. That's fair. Um, at what point do you think for, you know, I know your matchmakers and the top rank folks and your management, they're going to have their opinion, but your opinion, how soon do you think you could see yourself taking a, a bigger step up. I'm not knocking your opposition so far. They're, you're doing exactly what you're being asked to do. But until you fight somebody maybe that fans would know more about or have recognized or see it as a step up against a, you know, a higher level of opponent. I mean, in your, in your mind, is it, you know, in the next fight, is it later this year? Is it early next year? Just your thoughts on that uh, sort of ladder to the top. Um, whenever they can give me that fight, I guess, or those fights, I would love to fight anybody. Philip Hergovich, uh, I definitely want to fight him. I don't know why they, I haven't been able to get that fight yet, but whatever happens, it happens. Um, like I said, like you said, I'm, I'm handling the task at hand, you know, the people in front of me, uh, when they give them to me, sir. That's all I can do right now. Well, if you didn't watch uh, Usyk and, and, uh, and Joshua in the rematch, I assume that also means you did not see the Philip Hergovich fight on the undercard against Zhang Zalai? Nah, I just seen the highlights somebody sent him to me. It was a really good, hard, tough fight that, you know, he eked it out, but he was on the floor. A very, very tough fight. Uh, you know, down the road, you and him would be a spectacular fight, it seems to me. Uh, I actually was thinking about this because you are, uh, as I mentioned, considered, you know, maybe the top heavyweight prospect in the division, certainly in the United States, but your promoter, Top Rank, has two other heavyweights that they promote that are prospects also, uh, one of them being F.A. Ajagba, who's on this undercard also, you know, fight right before you. Uh, in a in an undercard fight, and they also have the Olympic silver medalist from uh, the Tokyo Olympics in Richard Torres Jr. And it seems like maybe if they you know have these different heavyweights at some point, you know, sort of when it's time to see you know who can take that next up, as as you all develop, uh, do you see yourself perhaps being matched with one of those guys? And I ask about Torres in particular because I was looking this up a little bit. My understanding is that when you fought him as an amateur in the 2017 Golden Gloves, he's the only guy that ever put you on the mat. Yeah. So what would you think about about a pro fight with either of those guys, and you know, down the road? I'll take the fight, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I see you smiling. Happens, Do you remember that knockdown against Torres in seventeen? Uh, Spar Richard all the time, so yeah, I, yeah. So was it? It was legit. Yeah, it was a punch. Yeah, but I mean, it's the only reason it stands out is because it's apparently the only time in your amateur or professional career that that happened to you. Uh, I know you don't want that to happen again, but in terms of the step-up fight, could you, I mean, in seriousness, could you see yourself being in the ring with either of those two guys? And I say that because they're both top-ranked fighters. They're both obviously top prospects also. They have that amateur pedigree, the Olympic pedigree. Uh, I think we're far from that conversation. Meaning what exactly? Uh, Different paths. Yeah, understood. Okay. Different, different stock right now. It's a lot of different things going on. 
Understood. All right, Jared, thank you very much for doing this with me today. I greatly appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck in the fight Saturday night. Good luck, my man. Thank you. Two observations. Well done with that. And I'm just going to say this. This is TJ. I've been doing this for a long time in the media, every which direction. If he wants to move up in the world promotionally, pay-per-view or whatever, be a little better with the answers, real big baby. You got My man, Rayfield, is, is a Hall of Fame Q&A guy. He's asking you legit questions. Do better than four or five words with some of the answers on some of this stuff. I know uh, he may not have been thrilled with having to sit there and do multiple interviews on Zoom or in person or whatever. That's just me saying that, listening to that interview. And then I thought it was interesting, too. You were bringing up Hergovich maybe being next. You well, he also, brought him up. He right, brought him up. And he brought up Hergovich, and you were talking about that. But then you also brought up F.A. Ajagba, who's on the card, and he said to you, we're on different paths. That fight's not going to happen. So I thought that was very revealing. Your final thoughts on the conversation there? Well, I was surprised he's the one that brought up Hergovich. I didn't mention it. And Hergovich obviously is in a different position than he is also because Hergovich, with the victory over Zhang on the undercard of Joshua and Usyk too, is now in the mandatory position for the IBF. But, you know, Jared Anderson, I would give him credit. You know, that's a that would be a huge step up for him as a pro. Uh, you want to talk about being on different planes at the moment? They are. I mean, not to say that Jared's not going to eventually get where Hergovich is now, but he's just a little bit behind in terms of the progression. But uh, I did like that part of it. Um, I do agree with you that uh, that he could be better in his, in his media, no doubt about it. Um, and I don't think it was a matter where he was tired of doing a million interviews because – they had him scheduled top rank for a handful of interviews on that day. And my understanding is I was second in that line. So he, and he didn't sound like he spent all day and he did 30 interviews and I was the last one. And he was just, you know, ready to go back uh, to take a nap or get something to eat or, you know, <laughs> or whatever he was going to do, go back to the gym. So, uh, you know, I, but again, I, I'm not going to hold it too far uh, hard against him because I've interviewed him in the past and he's been excellent. Maybe he's having a bad day for all I know. But uh, and, and would it have maybe been because you weren't in person right next to him and you were over video and it's a little detached and that can sometimes be the case in this now new world that we're all in where it's all on video conferencing and you're not in the room. Do you well, think the, that cost it a little bit that if you had been right there with him, the answers would have been a little better? I don't think so, because one, I've interviewed him. I think that was maybe my third or fourth time interviewing him. And I know 100% that at least two of, I think I did them once in person, but I definitely had at least one or two other interviews with him that were on the telephone, not Zoom, but just a straight phone call. And he was fine. So again, I'm not going to make too much of it. You know what? Okay. He's, he's a young heavyweight. He'll learn. Uh, it's a work in progress. You know, he's a big favorite over uh, Milan or Rove on, uh, on the Saturday card. Um, and we'll see what he can do. Everybody expects him to score a knockout. Uh, he is undefeated. He's got all of his wins by knockout. Um, the Ajagba fight came up to me because top rank has him as a heavyweight, um, who's also a prospect. And he's also, he was, has Olympic background, but they have a similar number of professional fights, even though Ajagba has fought a, like a better level of opposition so far. But I'm thinking if they're ever going to, you know, make a fight that is meaningful for either guy and they don't have to go outside their own bubble, that's something they could do. Basically like, you know, the winner is going to stay with us and the loser is going to find some other place to go. They also have Richard Torres Jr., the silver medal winner, uh, from the uh, Tokyo Olympic Games, who is also on this undercard part of the television. So he's another heavyweight that top rank is invested in. And I found it interesting, and I asked some people heard. They fought each other in the, in the amateurs. Uh, they've sparred together many times. And the only time that Jared Anderson has been on the floor, either as a professional or as an amateur, was when Richard Torres Jr. knocked him down in the 2017 Golden Gloves. So that, that's just, look, guys like me, you look for stories when they make right. fights. And again, Richard is just starting out. He's only two and zero, but uh, he was an Olympian, and he's going to probably move, you know, uh, you know, not 
super quick, but he'll fight regular. He'll get to his, you know, 10, 12 and 0 or whatever, if they can get him there. And uh, so anyway, it seemed like a logical question to ask him about the prospect of these other. He didn't want any part of it. Was, he didn't take he the really, he, he, he didn't did want any part. But uh, you know what? Good luck to him. I think he's a great well, prospect. And, and realistically, he wouldn't be fighting Torres in the next fight or for a couple no, more no, no, fights because no. Torres doesn't have enough experience yet. That's a couple right? years down the road. Yeah, that's yeah. like, um, that's, that's long view. But again, when you're, when you're asking a fighter like that, there's not much to discuss when it comes to the opponent. That's right. So it's about what the other stories are in and around your career and, and what your promoter sort of has on the, on the planning uh, board as far as where you're going to go. And that's what we talked about. Let's, let's put it this way. It's not an accident that Torres and Ajagba are on the card of course with not. him because they're trying to get this going. They're putting their three – they're the three, like, heavyweights that they're really involved in that are at the prospect level. Obviously, Tyson Fury is mm-hmm. the champion, et cetera. But those are the – that's the – those are the, the, the face of the top-ranked heavyweight state is the bottom line. There you go. Uh, all right, let's do this. We will pause. I promise we're going to hear from Arnold Barboza, and we're going to make some picks. The Pedraza Come intriguing main event. Junior welterweight non-title fight is the main event. Living on Tulsa time. We'll do all of that as you stay with us. We're back on Big Fight Weekend now. Here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in once more again. We're in the preview mode on Fridays, heading to the weekend, still relevant on Saturdays. Again, we've got the ESPN top-ranked boxing card. No title fights uh, for this weekend, but more of that coming. Obviously, Canelo Triple G looming in September and some much bigger title fights looming in September as we get there. But we'll still make some uh, comments and preview the top-ranked card in just a few moments. As I call Dan Rayfield back in, you mentioned this earlier uh, in the podcast. You hit up Arnold Barboza, a former headliner for top rank just a few weeks ago in the 140 pound class. And you were able to get in touch with him and have a, and have a conversation with him, right? This is something you did on your own. There's not a fight that is set up or he wasn't nope. being made available for that reason. This is so why his, we his, have you. This is why we have you as the insider. Cause you hit him up and you got into a good conversation with listen, him. His, his, like I said, his manager was looking to get him some, uh, some yep. attention. I was happy to talk to him. He's a nice guy. He's a good fighter. He's an underrated contender. He's on a pretty good winning streak. He looked good in the fight he had back on July 15th where he beat the undefeated uh, Dan Alito Zaria on the ESPN. It was his first main event. And then, of course, what happened with Tiafimo, uh, you know, his comments to uh, uh, the, the C- COO of Top Rank, Brad Jacobs, sort of like shooting fish in a barrel, of course. When, when Rick said, you know, are you interested in talking to the guy? I was like, of course, let's do it. So we set that up and I talked to him the other day and, uh, and Ar- Arnold was terrific. And uh, I hope people will enjoy this interview because he's a, he's a well-spoken guy. He's got a lot of opinions. He's kind of funny. Got a good sense of humor. Um, people can listen for themselves. And uh, all right, yeah. let's find that out yeah, now. One thing, though, TJ, yeah. when I, after I was done with the interview, it made me think to myself, you know what? Even more so than before the interview, because I was already interested in the prospect of a Barbosa Tiafimo fight. But now I now I'm like I got to see that fight. And let's hear more of why Dan right here with another conversation. All right, I'd like to welcome into the podcast now, junior welterweight contender, contender Arnold Barbosa Jr., twenty-seven and zero with ten knockouts. Has been on a good winning streak coming into his own, it seems to me, as a, as a legit contender in the 140-pound weight class. Uh, Arnold, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to do this with me. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Listen, one month ago, or a little bit longer than a month ago, July 15th, uh, you uh, took on a Daniel Lito Zaria from Puerto Rico in a fight that I think most people thought you would win, but uh, I think it was the kind of fight where 
it was, uh, you know, maybe a 60-40 kind of fight. People thought that he had a chance also. You're both good boxers and, and all that. Uh, but you didn't, give him a, you didn't let him breathe in there. You basically won every single round. It was a very lopsided decision. Uh, before we get into the rest of the things I want to talk to you about, I'd just like you to give me your assessment of that performance. I thought it was a very, very good performance. You know, you were in the main event uh, on ESPN on the top rank card. You were fighting in front of your hometown folks uh, in Southern California. And just give me your, your quick take on how you thought you performed in that uh, most recent victory. Yeah, um, you know, uh, thank you, actually. You know, um, yeah, that was, that was a big fight for me, you know. Um, you know, uh, uh, going into the fight, you know, we, we, we really wanted to fight someone that was ranked. Uh, he was ranked, I believe, at number 10. Uh, WBO, we were 8. Um, so we really wanted needed to uh, fight someone that was ranked uh, at that point, um, you know. And, uh, and yeah, man, you know, we, we, we knew it was going to be a tough fight. I know he was a very strong fighter. Um, you know, I, I, we did a lot of film on him. Uh, I seen him fight actually when he when he when he knocked out Gano, so I kind of was a little familiar with him already. Um, so um, uh, we took the final hesitation, man. And like you said, you know, it was a a, a good performance. Uh, I think I, I could do way better, um, you know. But uh, but you know, I'm happy with the result. You know, I'm happy with everyone that came out. I know we sold out the crowd right uh, at the Machanga, so that was that was very cool for me as well. Um, so man, we're just happy with the performance, and we're looking forward for what's next. And I'll let, I'll let the listeners know, if they don't remember, uh, he was an undefeated fighter also. He was 16-0 going into that fight. Obviously, you have more uh, fights on your record at now, 27-0 with that victory. Um, but even before that, I mean, that was your first uh, main event. But you had uh, scored some pretty good wins, maybe not at the, at the superstar level that were you know, huge necessarily, but if you're, if you're a follower of boxing, you know these guys. Uh, a good, solid uh, decision win over Antonio Moran, always a tough fighter before that. You had had another uh, decision win over Alex Sato, who had fought for a world title. Uh, he knocked you down, but you had basically sent him into retirement. Um, can you just speak a little bit about just uh, your pathway and, you know, racking up just maybe not against the elite names that everybody knows in the weight class, but putting together a really good, solid foundation of a resume to be able to, you know, say in order, I beat Sato, Moran, and Zaria. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, like I think the you know the path that I've took, I've taken, you know, to the top, you know, to where I'm at is, uh, you know, it's actually it was a very hard one, you know, like, like you said, these guys weren't, you know, superstar uh, level, but they were at one point elite because, you know, I I did fight, you know, also I believe it was like my 18th fight of Mike Reed who had just, you know, come off a, a title eliminator loss to Jose Ramirez, so he was hungry to get back in title contention, you know, so I've, I've, be, I've been doing this since then, you know, um, so, you know, uh, also, you know, Mike Alvarado, who was a little older, but still, you know, he was a champion at one point, he was on a little win streak, you know, and then you got uh, Alex Salcedo, who was, uh, like you said, he was a title contender, and he was, uh, he was a very good fighter, man, a very good fighter, you know, um, and so, you know, like you said, we always, we always come on top, um, I believe it's the hard work that we do, um, you know, I believe my path has, has not been easy, man, you know, I believe, I believe that, any one of those wins that I that I you know just mentioned, I think would have would have gave someone else a title shot, you know, because right. it has, you know, Mike Reed gave Ramirez a title shot. I'd be in right after, you know, so it's kind of you know, so it's just like you know, uh, I mean, it's just a hard. It's just I don't think the the dominoes have fallen on my on my uh, you know on, on my favor, you know, because you know it's just it's with the way the division is, where the belts are, and and everything, man. I just feel like it just you know it just hasn't been in my favor, but you know I'm hoping to change that soon. Well, you, you, not only did you send uh, Sacedo into retirement, you did send Alvarado into retirement. He was a former champion. He was a hell of a fighter, was in some big fights uh, for a time period. Like you said, he was a little older, fair enough. Uh, but, you know, we didn't even, you know, the three wins I mentioned in a row, but before that, you know, you beat a solid guy like Tony Luis. William Silva's been, you know, uh, let's say a second-tier type of contender. Point is, you're putting together, 
you know, a sneaky good resume, it seems to me. But I know there's a fight out there that you really want, and that's one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk to you. Uh, you were ringside on August 13th, so just about a month after your victory over Zuria, you were there uh, when your top-ranked stablemate, Teofimo Lopez, the former unified lightweight champion, he returned uh, for his first fight since losing the titles uh, to uh, George Cambosis last fall. And you were sitting there ringside. He was taking on Pedro Campa. It was Tiafimo's first fight in the 140-pound weight class. He looked good, scored the victory, uh, had no real issues whatsoever in, uh, in taking apart Pedro Campa, stopped him uh, impressively in the seventh round. And uh, there's a video, and we'll talk about this, where they show Tiafimo, you know, should be celebrating the victory. And he's talking to Brad Jacobs, the top-ranked executive, the chief operating officer of the company. And the first thing on his mind, he says to him, and I want to be back in the ring soon. And he basically says to him, don't set me up with that bum over there, Arnold Barboza. So you're on his mind. You're like in his head a little bit. He said, I need bigger fish. Now, I could understand maybe him saying I have, you know, bigger fish to fry. You know, he has title aspirations, thinking he's, he's a bigger name. He's already been a champ at 135. But to call you names kind of felt like, you know what, he's he's doesn't really want to fight you. And I'm sort of like, why? That's a good fight. That's an interesting fight. The guys who have the bigger names are not available to him at this moment. Um, it would seem to me a somewhat easy fight to make, all things considered, uh, given that you're both with top rank. I know you want the fight. That's obvious. Tell me a little bit about what you thought when you became aware that when he was calling you names and, and saying, you know, kind of dismissing you that I have bigger fish to fry. Man, when when I seen that video, um, you know, Rick sent it to me. I seen that video, man. I just started busting up and laughing, bro. Like, I was like, this fucking guy. I was. I don't know if I could cut it or not. I'm sorry. You can but, you can cause it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was like, man, this fucking guy, man. Like, like you just won your fight instead. Of, you know, do another little dance and do your backflips, bro. Like, but no, you're fucking over here saying please. You know that that's the key word. He's begging them not to give give him that fight. You know, and uh, and I know I man, I know he don't want the fight, but. Like, 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 I'm thinking, like, okay, there, there is no big fish to fry, bro. Like, like, I'm, I'm in the top two. Like, I'm in the top of the division. You know, I'm ranked. You know, number two in WBO. Like, what are the big fish you have to fry? Like, you know, you know, uh, Taylor has his meeting, right? Wants he said what he wants to do with Catterall. You know, uh, Chon and Regis are going. Uh, you know, uh, Ramirez might do paro or whatever he's gonna do, wedding or whatever. Like, there's no other big fish to fry. Like, the only fight to make is I don't see any other fight that he can take that doesn't make him look like a pussy. I just really don't. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like, where, where he can go or what what other route he can take that would make, not make him look like, like he's scared. You know what I mean? So so that, that to me, it, it says a lot, you know. And I'm like, you know what, man? Like, I'm, I, I'm not going to wait around for this kid anymore, you know, because his manager and then mentioned me uh, on his comeback fight. Which I knew they probably weren't going to take, but they kept mentioning me. So I, I, I kept getting ready and I kept uh, just denying fights because of him. I was, so I'm I was, not going to do that no more, you know. So I'm going to just, you know what, man? Like, look, I'm, I'm going to meet. I know Rick's going to try to push this as hard as he can. But if he can't get this done, you know, then that's that's Teofimo being scared, man. It's not me. You know, it's not us. You know, we, shit, I don't even care what they want to pay. I just want to get my hands on this kid, man. Like, I really, like, legit don't like him. Uh, you know, that's why I can't see him in person. Like, like you can't put me in him in face-to-face. I swear to God you can't because, man, I, try, I just really don't like him. Well, I'll let people know when you, you've mentioned Rick a couple of times. That's your manager, Rick Merigian, 
who also is the manager of uh, Jose Ramirez, also the manager for another uh, top contender in your weight class, Jose Zapata. And uh, I know that's actually where I saw the video because Rick posted it uh, to his social media. Um, and, and I'm wondering when you, when you, when you say, you know, you, like you said, you have a high ranking in the WBO. I know that Tiafimo will have a high ranking given his championship, uh, from the lightweight division and scoring the victory against Campa. But you mentioned that you had heard that, you know, that was, uh, your name was somebody that they thought he might have his comeback against rather than Campa. I actually had written that because that's what I was told that it wasn't like the fight was made between you and Tiafimo, but that you were definitely near the top of that list. Um, I can only assume that, that the uh, Lopez people sort of said no at that point because they were looking for something different in their first fight in the 140-pound weight class. And to be quite honest with you, uh, Arnold, if I'm coming into the 140-pound weight class looking to get my feet wet, I'm not, I'm not going to be wanting to take on, on, uh, take on uh, Arnold Barbosa in my first fight in that weight class. I mean, that, that's, that's, um, that's a good fight, but for the first one in the weight class, I, I'm not surprised he didn't do that. Um, but do you think that because... You're both with top rank, and as you mentioned, some of the other top names in the division are otherwise occupied. You mentioned, okay, let's go through it. Uh, uh, Josh Taylor's the champion, at least now he's down to the WBO title. He's going to probably have a rematch with Catterell, so it takes those two top guys out of the mix for you. You got Jose Ramirez, who's said he's going to take the rest of the year off. He's uh, getting married and bowed out of that position to be the mandatory for the vacant WBC title. Uh, so he's off the table for this moment. Uh, the WBC did end up ordering Zapata against Regis Progress for the vacant title. So it would seem that you're not going to get your hands on either of those two guys. And then there's a couple, you know, uh, Alberto Pueyo just won the WBA belt. I, I can't imagine he's going to be fighting you given the political uh, mountains that would take to overcome. There's Ryan Garcia, obviously a big name. Uh, he's looking for Tank Davis. Sergey Lipinets just won on the weekend uh, in a knockout victory against Omar Figueroa. He's a former champion um, with PBC, maybe not the biggest fight that you could make. So I'm thinking to myself, what other fight is there that means something that you or Tiafimo or top rank can put together? And it seems to me that Tiafimo versus Arnold Barboza, and not to be so long-winded about it, that seems to me to be the obvious fight. Uh, to be, uh, you're right, man. Like I said, you hit the nail on the head. That's the only fight. Like I, like I said, I don't see him like going. There, there, there's no other route. You know what I mean? Like, there's, I, I don't see. And like you said, everyone's occupied. I'm available. He's available. Like who? Like who else is there? Like to make? Like Top Ring knows it. You know, Teal maybe doesn't want to do it, but he might have to do. I don't know. Like you gotta. Someone has to corner him. Or something, because I mean, there's no. I mean, the only way he takes another fight that someone you guys don't never heard of, like a Pedro Campa or whatever, and then that's when you know he's just scared, like he, he doesn't want to fight. You know, what I, I mean? won't. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Arnold. I don't give him grief for taking a Campa fight. You know, he's coming off a very tough loss. He had a lot of physical situation after that with multiple, you know, surgeries on his uh, elbow, and I think there was also the issue with, uh, you know, with. Uh, with the, with the esophagus thing that had happened to him. He had some treatment for the asthma. He was having some personal issues. So I don't begrudge a guy for taking that kind of fight on the comeback. But I would think now you've got that win under your belt. And as we just discussed, those other uh, uh, contenders and champions are not available to him. Uh, so, but you are, and not only are you available, but you obviously clearly would like to have the fight. Is, is it going to now be a situation where, where Rick goes to top rank and tries to press the issue? And I don't maybe, you know, I know because top rank is the one that mentioned to me about making you against Tifimo in the first place. I know the company has interest in making that match. Uh, how are you guys going to approach your promoter to try to help them, you know, grease the wheels to get that match done? Yeah, well, you know, like, look, I, I don't, I don't blame Tio Fimo uh, for taking the compa fight because I said it myself. 
you know, I even I even talked to like my pops and Rick and all them. I said, man, he's a dumbass if he fights me. Like, I think you should come back and get a fight in. You know, like I, I said it myself, but the reason why I was pushing this so much because they were the ones mentioning me about it. You know, so that's when I started pushing the issue on it. You know, so so I'm not mad he got the comp fight at all. You know, like I'm just mad that 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 you know they kind of like like BS and and you know kind of made his weight a little bit. You know, just kept mentioning my name. You know what I mean? So that's the, that's what kind of got me a little upset. You know, but. But yeah, you know, look, whatever top rank, uh, you know, wants to do or whatever they need us to do, we'll agree on it. We'll go to New York, uh, wherever he wants to fight. I, I could be in his living room, you know. Uh, his, his dad could be the judge. His, his, you know, his mom could be the. I don't ref. I don't get. I don't care, bro. Like, I just want. I want to get my hands on right. So, so, so whatever, whatever needs to be, whatever needs to happen, then it'll happen. You know, like on our part. You know, uh, it doesn't matter what he wants to do. Like we'll 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 comply with everything. When you watched his fight with Camper, and I'm I'm sure you've watched his other fights uh, before that. What is it about him that that you think you match up so well with him that you can get the victory? Because listen, his only loss was uh, a fight against Cambosis, where he lost was a fight with Cambosis when he was, you know, and I'm not making excuses for him, but he was obviously physically compromised. Uh, so what is it in in the Arnold Barboza arsenal that makes you think that you've got what it takes to beat Lopez? Look, look without without giving out too much, because we really got game plans in place and everything, you know. Um, you know, I just think, you know, like the overall fighter that I am, you know, I can box, I can brawl, I've proved everything, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that I'm, I'm a trouble for anybody in the ring, you know what I mean? I got reach, you know, I got, I, I'm, I'm a strong, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strong fucking big 140 pounder, you know? So, so, you know, so, um, I want to see how he matches. I see a lot of things in the fight, man, that I know for sure I capitalize on, you know, like that wasn't like, that was comp on there. It wasn't Barboza in there, you know? So, so, you know, I'm excited if the fight happens, you know, um, hopefully, you know, he, he grows a pair of balls, man, and he, he takes it, you know what I mean? Uh, that's, that's what we're hoping for. So, uh, hopefully, you know, top rank, you know, uh, gives us, you know, some terms and we'll accept them. I mean, let, let, I mean, we're trying to get this happen. We're trying to get make this happen. I understand that. Before we wrap up, Arnold, let me just ask you this, just on your on your viewpoints of the rest of the weight class. We discussed uh, uh, Lopez, and, and we just went through the schedule of who's around doing what. Uh, what what are what are your thoughts about Taylor? He's going to probably move up, I guess, at some point. He's looking to do that rematch with Catterell. They had a controversial first fight, so I'm interested in just your take on on uh, on, on Taylor Catterell, Taylor as a champion, and also just your your general thoughts on uh, the fight that will take place, presumably if they can work things out between uh, Zapata and Progre for the vacant WBC title. Those seem on paper anyway. Catterell Taylor is a good fight. We already saw the first one, and, and Progre Zapata. I got to be honest, as a fan, man, I think that's a dynamite fight. No, yeah, um, you know, um, the Taylor, you know, I don't know the situation. I don't know what he's gonna do, but you know, if he does fight Cadero, I think it's gonna be another good fight. Um, you know, I know, I know Cadero, Cadero is, is 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 motivated. I know Josh Taylor is as well because he, he didn't look his best. Um, you know, I don't know if something was wrong with, with Taylor or if it was just he does not do good against lefties. You know, because you know a lot of lefties are not <laughs> they can't fight lefties. They they fight righties. You know, so so I'm I'm excited to see the rematch on that. Um, you know, as well. Um, and then the Cepeda and Regis, man, look, I, I got to ride with my boy, man, Cepeda, you know, uh, um, I, I sparred him a few times and, and, you know, he, he's real tricky, you know, he's a real tricky dude. Um, and I think he, I think he, he's a very good boxer. Um, so, but I think, man, it's, a, I think it's a, it's a 50, 50, I'm going with leaning towards Cepeda, but man, Regis is a dog in there as well. So I'm excited to see these fights happen. And I have to think though, as much as you'd like to get your hands on Tifimo, as we've been discussing, You'd, I mean, I don't know if it's possible. It, you know, you never know. Wouldn't you love to get a fight with Ryan Garcia, given the name and the money that that kind of fight would bring to any of his opponents? 
Oh yeah, I I I was right next to uh, Oscar De La Hoya for the Teal Female fight, and I was talking to him, and I said, "Man, look, if you, if the Teal Female fight can't happen with Ryan, and Ryan can't happen with Tank, I'll fight Ryan." He's like, "Oh yeah, that would be a great fight." But I mean, it's like you know how I mean, who knows, man? You know, what I mean, he could just say that, you know what I mean? But but yeah, that would be a great fight as well, man. Like I said, I, I would love that fight. You know, I'm I'm looking for the big fights, so uh, so we'll see see what happens. Well, it certainly doesn't sound like uh, Arnold Barbosa is looking to get away from any of the name guys, willing to get in the ring uh, with anybody in the weight class, looking to make your name bigger than it already is. And uh, I wish you the best of luck, Arnold. I really thank you for taking time to discuss all it with me today. Appreciate it. No, thank you, man. I really appreciate you having me, man. Thank you. You bet. There you go, everybody. That's Arnold Barbosa Jr., undefeated junior welterweight contender. So as much as Real Big Baby wasn't playing along with the Rayfield questions, Barbosa. A plus on going along with the questions and then some on giving you the answers and giving you some good stuff. And I'm with you. They can, they can sell that Barboza Lopez, a little bit of heat between them back and forth. All right. Give me a little quick insight before we get into the fights in the ring on uh, top ranks card Saturday night. That's a hypothetical. How realistic is it? And even soon, what do you think? I, I think that it is realistic because top rank was interested to make that fight for Tiafimo's comeback fight. Now he's got the, the fight with Campa under his belt. He came through that fight, looked good. You know, injuries apparently are okay. Barbosa definitely wants to fight. So it really comes down to, uh, you know, what's the, what's the money? Or how are they going to divvy that up? You know, what kind of deals can either guy get? You know, Lopez thinks he can get a bigger fight. If he can, good for him. Uh, obviously, he's got a good name, uh, certainly a bigger name than Barbosa. So there might be something bigger for him out there. Um, but as, as people heard in the interview, uh, Arnold and I went through all of the players in the weight class and the reasons why those matches are unlikely and that the most logical fight to make at 144, either guy, Lopez or Barbosa, is to fight each other. It's a good main event for ESPN. It's credible. It's competitive. It's interesting for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, not even talking about the stuff that they had to say about each other in terms of Tiafimo in the ring after his fight and what Arnold said in uh, the interview with me and I think some other interviews he's been doing. Um there's some spice there. It's an interesting fight, and it would be – it's not maybe a championship fight, but if you're not going to be a title fight on ESPN, at least make a good matchup, and certainly it's a better matchup than the Campa fight for, for you know, by a thousand percent. So uh, let's do it. I like that. All right, let's move into it. We're in the preview mode. Speaking of 140 pounds, that's where our main event is. ESPN top-ranked show, Tulsa, Oklahoma, as we're talking about veterans, Jose Zapata, Richard Comey, I would characterize this as both guys need a win. They're both coming off a loss, and the loser now is going to kind of fall more into the B-side and the opponent variety if they don't get a win. So that's part of the intrigue. Tell me what else stands out here. This will be the main event Saturday night. You know what? It's just a good fight between two good fighters who are maybe not in the top one, two, or three of their weight class, but if by getting a victory against the other guy can certainly force themselves ahead set themselves up for something else. As you mentioned, the loser would obviously uh, probably be relegated to sort of stepping stone status uh, at this point, but they've both been good fighters. They both had their share of good wins. They both had their share of tough losses. <clears throat> they both had world titles in the lightweight division. Pedraza also had a title in the junior lightweight division, but they're both coming off a loss and it's time to, uh, you know, to, to, there's no easy, when you're in that situation and you're older in your career and they're in their mid thirties, you know, you're going to have to fight somebody. And if you win, you move on. If you lose, uh, you know, you take a step back, you know, it's prize fighting. That's what they're going to do. Uh, you have uh, Richard Comey, who's a former lightweight title holder. He is uh, now moving up into the junior welterweight division. He's been fighting at lightweight for many years. He's coming off a one-sided ass kicking 
from Vesely Lomachenko, mm-hmm. who knocked him down. That was back in December. He lost that fight in a landslide. Uh, so, you know, he's also lost two of his last three because if you remember two fights before he got beat up by Lopez, he lost his IBF lightweight title, got drilled in the second round by Tifimo Lopez. Right. Uh, the one win that he had between the Lomachenko loss and the Lopez loss was a pretty solid victory against Jackson Mariñez. Um, that, that was a, a pretty uh, solid uh, performance. He stopped him in round six. So that was a good win for the guy. And in terms of Pedraza, you know, he's also fought everybody. He also has a loss. Uh, by decision to Lomachenko, but he was coming off of a, of a, not a lopsided, but a competitive, but a clear decision to Jose Ramirez um, back in uh, March of this year. So he's also in need of a victory. He has been fighting at the junior welterweight limit for the last few years. And so again, two good veterans, two guys that generally make pretty good fights uh, and, and they're coming together in a main event and on a, on a top rank card. That's not at the, at the upper echelon of, of a budget card. Uh, they've made themselves a good match um, where it may not have the sexiness of the names or the stakes, but I'll tell you right now, uh, I, I have a much more, I think it's a competitive fight. You, you don't look at the matchup and say, I know who's winning that fight right off the bat. There's going to be, I think, I hope competition in that fight. And by the way, on our BetUS show, that again, another plug comes your way Fridays live one Eastern time, BetUS platforms, their app, their YouTube the, the money line betting, Pedraza is a small favorite, minus 260, Comey a plus 210 underdog with an over-under of eight and a half rounds. And this is scheduled 10-rounder, correct, if we're looking for the yes. decision. It's not a 12-rounder. So that's a, that's a very competitive betting line there for the two veterans. And there's a lot at stake for their futures because both of them have lost multiple times. Again, Pedraza, as you mentioned, was also in there with Gervonta Davis and got knocked out a few years ago. Uh, so he needs a win. As well, Comey would love to get back in the picture. He's got a pretty good punch. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see about hey, listen, that. They, they, these are guys who have both fought a lot of good opposition. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, they both fought Lomachenko. You have uh, Pedraza. You know, the, that's probably for a lot of people would consider Tank Davis's best victory to be against a then undefeated Pedraza when he took the 130 pound title off him a few years ago, and at that time became the youngest active world champion in boxing. I was at that fight at Barclays and he looked tremendous. And, you know, uh, and Pedraza was, was highly regarded at that moment, but he's also fought other good fighters. He had the fight with uh, a granted a loss against Jose Zapata. Um, he, you know, has a win over Ray Beltran. I mean, these are good fighters that he's been fighting against and, and, and Comey's in the same situation. I mean, even in fights where he lost, like against Robert Easter, for example, that was a fight that was a split decision. We had Easter on the deck and a lot of people thought he won. He has a decision loss to Shafikov in Russia, which if you watch it on YouTube is one of the worst decisions I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. The epitome of home cooking. He, you know, Shafikov got the home cooking decision in Moscow. Um, but these guys are, are pros. They fought everybody. And uh, hopefully we get a good fight Saturday. And uh, like you said, uh, the winner goes forward and the, and the loser is uh, going to take a big step back. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. I know you did interview Real Big Baby, Jared Anderson. He is a massive, massive favorite. Again, as we debate this on the BetUS show, the over-under is a round and a half. The I've never seen makers it. The odds at BetUS just, honest to God, believe this doesn't see the bell for the second round, basically. The thing, the thing with that fight is if you're a viewer, you go into that, you're not looking, I mean, you hope it turns out to be a competitive fight, but the reality is they're building up Jared Anderson. Right. Everybody believes he's the next big thing in terms of an American heavyweight contender. And so you want to see him just drill a guy, you know, right. uh, you know, his opponent's a professional. He's got 24 wins, a couple of losses, I think only stopped once. And the whole idea is a showcase fight 
for Jared, big ba- the real big baby Anderson, uh, you know, let's let's take a look. It's kind of like I'm not saying he's Mike Tyson, but when Mike Tyson was coming up, people just were watching this guy destroy guys in one or two rounds. And that's sort of the feeling you get as they bring big baby along uh, to uh, to go in there and just smash a guy and. You know, Richard Torres will open up that show in the in the triple header. And Rava Conan, if I have that right, he did fight our guy Ajit Kabayel and lost by knockout. That's the knockout oh, you referenced. But did, that's like that's like four or five years ago. Like, when did Ajit Kabayel become our guy? Well, we we love mentioning that name. We just love on the podcast. It's almost kind of like an Easter egg that we would bring up that name. And I just gave you an Easter egg for the audience to hear it. That there's the name again. Like we would say, Tyson Fury may not be fighting Deontay Wilder. He may not be fighting Dillian White. Easter egg. He could be fighting Ajit Kabayel. So Kabayel is kind of like a fun name that we love to throw out there. In any event, he beat Rava Conan in April of 2018, roughly four and a half years ago by KO. That's his only KO loss. He's a Serbian. He's clearly there as the opponent. Where will he hear the bell for the second round? Over under a round and a well, half. Well, they can find out left. my pick on that over under on our bet US. Right, I, I, have a, I have a very specific thought about that. That, and again, most of the time, even even in quicker fights, it's been like four and a half that we debate. We're debating whether it goes six minutes or actually four and a half minutes or not on this one with Real Big Baby. And and we should mention we haven't really talked about it here. He is off a hand injury, right? A hand or a wrist injury. So there is a oh yeah, that's a, a good point. There's yes. a bit of a question mark on how quickly will he ramp up and throw big punches. He really right? didn't want to talk about that, but the reality yeah. is he was supposed to be on the undercard of Tyson Fury against Dillian White in April. And in fact, when Aram, Bob Aram from Top Rank, when they had finalized the fight for Fury against Dillian White, uh, I spoke to Bob within like a half an hour after they, they finalized the deal. And he said to me, he had talked to Tyson Fury on the phone, like the phone call before I spoke to him. And he said, the, one of the first things that Tyson said to him was, hey, Bob, make sure you get Jared Anderson over here. I want him back in my camp because uh, Jared has been uh, in uh, the camps with uh, Tyson as a sparring partner. Uh, when he was getting ready for the second and third fights against Deontay Wilder. And so he was going to go over to the UK. He was going to spar with Fury, be in the camp, and also perform on the undercard. And so when he hurt his hand, he did not go to the camp to spar with him. He also did not appear on the undercard. So that was a disappointment. And uh, he is coming off that injury. And we'll see again, how is the hand? He had a surgery, I want to say, it was like a tendon on top of one of his knuckles. Um, not an uncommon injury for a boxer, particularly when you're as ferocious a puncher as a man like uh, Jared Anderson is. Um, so you're right. Maybe he will, uh, but, you know, I'm sure he's tested it in his training camp, but the real fight's a different story. And there might be at least, I'm not saying it's going to go 10 rounds, but there might be a slight bit of hesitancy. <laughs> By the, the way, <laughs> if, I just bit. looked at this on BetUS. If the fight goes 10 rounds, the prop for the fight to go the 10 rounds yeah. is plus 1,000. You don't have to bet on who wins or how it happens. It's a 10 to 1 proposition that the fight goes 10 rounds. That's, I mean, most of the time that would be like plus 100, maybe plus 200. That tells I mean, that you the certainly seems like unlikely. Yeah. But I mean, like you said, the guy he's fighting, just because we never heard him doesn't mean he's no good. His only loss by a knockout is to your boy. Gabriel. <laughs> yep. Who, by the way, is not like a bad fighter. He was the right. European champion. He's like, he's a, you know, maybe a second or second and a half tier type contender. Not, not a, uh, you know, a complete stiff by any stretch of the imagination. And Jared Anderson, now, granted, he's been scoring uh, a lot of knockouts early in his recent fights, but he has gone the six-round distance in a fight. I mean, not the distance, but uh, uh, he went into the sixth round of a six-rounder and scored a knockout last year. Um, he's been into the fourth round. He's been into the third round. So it's not like 
he every fight's been a first round knockout. This is not an Edgar Berlanga who had that tremendous streak where he scored first round knockouts in like a dozen 14 fights or whatever it was. Um, he has been pushed into three, four, uh, five, yep. six. So, you know, what can I tell you? We'll see. All right. We'll find out. That one's a co-feature. ESPN top-ranked show, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Saturday night. Again, Pedraza Come is the main event, which should be an entertaining one as well. I think we've come to the end. We've covered a bunch. We've had some good interviews. Uh, we're good for another weekend. Uh, I, by the way, am headed to the heartland of America, Indianapolis, Indiana, Tampa Bay Buccaneer preseason football still for me, but I will be able to see the ESPN top rank show when we're done with the Buccaneer duties Saturday night. You and I will get to recap all of this off the weekend, and then we're about to the month of September. When we get into the preview mode and the recap mode next time, it's all for the month of September, which means Canelo Triple G month is coming up for us among can't the other wait. title fights we can't wait for can't that. wait for that and i know this the day that we do our our preview and we do our bet us show i'll be in vegas because i'm going to the fight all right can't there wait. we go on that one coming up in september for now though i think we are good uh again dan rayfield nice job here we'll keep reading you on the Substack on fight freaks unite as well as bigfightweekend.com previews recaps all of it for the weekend thank you my friend once again feliz cumpleaños because the twins are taking Spanish in high school now for the last three weeks. So we're working on Spanish. That would mean happy birthday in Spanish. Yes, Feliz cumpleaños. Thank you. Uh, tango. Gracias. All right. Uh, uh, de nada. All right. For, uh, for now, we're good. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. We thank you for being with us. Recap podcast coming off the weekend here on this very podcast feed on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Bye.